This video is sponsored by Fide, a Catholic technology alternative to big tech companies. Fide provides email, calendar services, file, and collaborative options, forms for individuals, families, businesses, parishes, and nonprofit operations. Check out the link in the description box for more information. A few days ago, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano released a long letter that is just the first of three parts. As you will see here, I'm hoping to keep this under a total of 30 minutes. He had this letter that was so long that he had to break it into three parts. And what it's about is simple. There was a group of nuns in Italy who have been in a battle with their diocese for years now who are being forced out of their monastery after being canonically set up and established, again, canonically, according to all the laws of the church, as an organization not dependent on the rules of the federation of this document called core orons done by francis several years ago that was used as an ideological instrument to smash religious orders specifically traditional ones is how it has always been implemented and vigano goes into details here and he provides the receipts he shows what this is about this is about money and about ideological purity that is what the vatican is engaged in and they're smashing traditional religious orders if they're at the first whiff of tradition, he, they swoop in and seek the properties that nuns and monks have. Time and time again, that has been their modus operandi. It's absolutely evil. It's diabolical. They're motivated by such depraved materialism. What he has here is an account of how this problem began, how this, the nuns were first, the nuns in question were first involved with the neocatechumenal way, and that caused them a great deal of problems. And they finally managed to break away from the neocatechumenal way. They embraced tradition with the full support of the bishop, by the way, who was overseeing them, who, who implemented some more pontificum for them on the condition that they didn't only offer the traditional liturgy, that in their chapels at their monastery, that they offered both the what well, gets called now the ordinary form and the extraordinary form. He didn't even say how often it had to be required, at least according to Vigano. But then things began to gel in the worst way possible for the nuns. The Vatican became interested in the property. The local ordinary became interested in the property. They even involved the civil authorities in violation of canon law and in violation of a document called the Concordat. The Concordat was the document signed in 1929 between the government of Italy and the Vatican, establishing the Vatican city-state, and there were certain stipulations involved. And Rome violated the Concordat. And they've actually done this under Bergoglio several times, violating the Concordat. Whether the Italian government does anything, cares enough to do anything, remains to be seen. The document is long, and I read through it pretty quickly, but that's because I was angry reading this thing. So my apologies. If it's, if it's too fast for you, there's a gear icon on your screen, you can click that and slow down the speed to three-quarter speed. That should be sufficient. But this document is impressive, and it's only part one of three. So be watching. In the current coming weeks, I'm sure Archbishop Vigano will supply part two, and I will bring it to you at that time. Let me know what you think of this at the end. God bless. Letter of Archbishop Vigano. Canceled Benedictine nuns are victims of the ideological fury of the Bergolians. After the disclosure of conflicting and contradictory news relating to the recent events that have involved the cloistered community of the Benedictine Monastery of Pienza, I consider it my duty as a pastor to intervene to reestablish the truth of the facts, as they are verifiable to those who are not prejudiced and care both 
about the fate of these religious women, as well as highlighting the attitude of open hostility towards them on the part of ecclesiastical authority. The first contribution of mine comes from my direct and personal knowledge of the abbess and the nuns, on whose behalf I intend to speak. In this first part, I will analyze the sequence of events. A second essay will consider the extent, the content of the Holy See's measures, framing them in the broader context of Bergoglio's demolishing action. A third essay will propose some initiatives to be undertaken. First of all, it is necessary to start from the birth of the monastery. Twelve of the thirteen religious who compose it come from the Benedictine community Santa Maria de Rosa de Sant'Angelo in Pontano, belonging to the Piceno Federation. This monastery in the Italian region of Marsh experienced a moment of rebirth when it began to welcome female vocations from the so-called neocatechumenical way of Kiko Arguello. It was, in fact, from the Comino that our young women entered religion, only to be sent in 2013 by the same leaders of the neocatechumenal way to establish a new Benedictine foundation in Holland, in the Diocese of Haarlem, Amsterdam, with the agreement of Bishop Josef Marianus Punt. The new monastery was approved by the Holy See the following year. As has already happened in Santa Maria del Rose and in practically all the communities under Kiko's control, so too in Holland the autonomy of government of the monastery was put to the test by the serious and undue interference of the leaders of the Camino. This parallel neocatechumenical hierarchy established by Arguello and his catechists led the sisters to the decision, taken collegially in chapter, to distance themselves from the Camino. After four years, Bishop Punt was forced to remove the nuns under pressure from Kiko, who threatened to withdraw his neocatechumenal priests from the diocese, because these priests were actually the only ones on whom the bishop could rely, and they constitute a considerable part of his diocesan presbytery. This demonstrates the capacity for interference in the life and governance of the church on the part of a lay association that has planned its infiltration into the ecclesial body in such a way as to make itself indispensable, so that once it has been accepted in the dioceses, it would be able to impose its pastoral line. At this point, the sisters wanted to return to Italy, to the monastery of Pontano, but the earthquake of 2016 seriously damaged it, and so it was impossible to return. Obviously, this decision of the nuns, constituting yet another proof of the manipulative action of the leaders of the movement, has created a vacuum around our Benedictines, abandoned to themselves and deprived of any sustenance and support from the leaders of the Camino. The nuns seek hospitality in Italy, but the diocesan bishops and monasteries whom they have asked have given them a diffident refusal once they learn of the origin of the community from the ranks of the neocatechumenal movement. Because of the problems caused in the dioceses and parishes by the Camino, the neocatechumenals no longer enjoy the enthusiastic welcome they received in the past, and this mistrust also affects the nuns, who are rejected precisely because of their origin. This, then, is the situation of the nuns, who arrive in Italy with the mark of infamy of having escaped the manipulations and heretical indoctrination of the powerful Spanish guru. Their modernist approach, however, allowed the sisters to find hospitality in Pienza, where in August 2017, Bishop Stefano Manetti welcomed them, in consideration of the fact that for years the diocese had witnessed the inexorable extinction of contemplative religious life. Very happy to be able to have a female Benedictine monastery, Manetti temporarily gave them space to live in a summer seminary that was no longer in operation, took care of paying their utilities, and promised the sisters that he would find a suitable structure to become their definitive home, which was necessary for them to be able to canonically erect a monastery sui juris, that is, directly dependent on the Holy See. Although Manetti did not keep his promise to find a suitable home for the sisters, 
In February 2019, he still managed to obtain permission from the Holy See for the for the building of the monastery Sui Juris. This appeared to be a real forcing of canon law, which provides as a condition for the building of a monastery Sui Juris, the community must own the building in which it is located. Manetti promised the sisters that he would personally guarantee their stability. All this took place with the approval of the chapter of the nuns' monastery of origin. The process ended in 2019 with the elevation of the abbess, Sister Maria Deletta of the Holy Spirit, who received the abbatical blessing from Manetti. After a few months, Manetti offered them a nine-year loan contract, revocable without any reason, on the condition that the sisters provide for their ordinary and extraordinary expenses, as well as bearing the cost of the renovation and upgrading of the building. The religious were therefore faced with an inadmissible proposal, both because they lacked economic means and also because they were not actually protected for the future. It is evident that the contradictory and wavering behavior of Manetti was used to force the nuns to leave, without officially expelling them. Why the Curia was so interested in reclaiming the summer seminary would soon become clear. At this point, it is appropriate to recall that a Benedictine monastery, Sui Juris, depending exclusively on the Holy See, is not required to join a federation, that is, a group of monasteries that share a specific spiritual and governmental approach. The Apostolic Constitution Voltum de Curere, promulgated by Bergoglio on June 29, 2016, intervened to modify the practice established by Venerable Pius XII for the Apostolic Constitution, Sponsa Christi Ecclesia, of 1950. This was the basis for the core Orange instruction of May 15, 2018, which constituted the application of the new provisions on the suppression and federation of monasteries. Needless to say, these two documents have as their purpose the demolition of the contemplative life and the progressive re-education of religious sisters, precisely by means of the federations. Using the inexorable decimation of vocations as an excuse, Cor Orans makes it possible to unite the religious of several monasteries, ensuring that the assets of these monasteries, often consisting of prestigious historic buildings located in magnificent places, are confiscated by the Holy See. The nuns thus find themselves torn from their spiritual family and sent to new communities, with the obligation of taking refresher courses, that is, indoctrination and reprogramming, outside the cloister. The more traditional communities are obviously the ones that are the most persecuted, this clarification is necessary in order to understand how, once they arrived in Italy and were established in a monastery with their own abbess, the nuns of Pienza showed extreme flexibility by making themselves available, although not having the obligation, since they were established in a monastery, sui juris, to make contact with the existing federations so as to evaluate which of them was most suited to their charism. The advent of the 2020 events interrupted this process, especially after society closed. But the work of devastation of Cor Orans continues inexorably, as evidenced by the undue pressure of the Holy See on the Monastery of Pienza, which, as has been mentioned, is not in the least obliged to join a federation, since it is sui juris. The problem, in fact, was created when Bishop Minetti chose this canonical form, but without guaranteeing its ownership of its own property, which is a condition for a monastery of this kind. The transfer of Minetti and the appointment of Cardinal Lojuris, a friend of the Vicar General and former rector of the seminary, must have led the bishop to try to settle a situation of irregularity before the arrival of his successor. In the decree of the building of this facility, Manetti declared, quote, In accordance with the canonical legislation in force I build in the Diocese of Montepulciano Chiusi Pienza, the Monastery of Benedictine Nuns, 
in Pienza with all privileges and spiritual graces that the other monasteries of the aforementioned order legitimately enjoy, having provided for all the requests of the universal laws of the church, especially with regard to the cloister, the sustenance of the nuns, and their spiritual assistance. But we know that this was not the case. The property of the monastery was still owned by the diocese, and the sustenance of the nuns by the diocese was limited to the payment of utilities. For this reason, the bishop cannot formalize their removal, and limits himself to verbally exerting pressure on the sisters to leave. In 2020, thanks to a priest friend of the monastery, and to some providential meetings with figures linked to the world of tradition, the sisters, quote, discovered the Tridentine liturgy, and Minetti applied the motu proprio Samorum pontificum in their favor, believing that the occasional celebration of the Mass in the ancient rite could help the community to definitively free itself from its neocatechumenal formation. The following year, he contacted the Benedictine monks of Norcia to help the nuns on this journey. When Traditionus Custodus was promulgated, the bishop instructed some priests of Rome to ensure the Sunday celebration of Mass in the Tridentine rite, provided that it did not become their only liturgical form. In the meantime, the sisters continued to look throughout Italy for a monastery to which they could transfer without success. Historical monasteries that are presently uninhabited are too expensive to live in, or need large amounts of restoration that a small group of nuns would not even remotely be capable of addressing. On the other hand, the Benedictine communities with few nuns consider it problematic to welcome 13 sisters, who would represent a sort of revolution for their quiet and regular life. The nuns then ask the bishop to leave them where they are, offering to take care of the payment of the utilities, until then only partially paid by the diocese since it was receiving a substantial reimbursement from the nuns. In April 2022, the news came of the transfer of Bishop Minetti to the Episcopal Chair of Fiosole. This decision of the Holy See led the bishop perhaps in order to remedy a situation of grave canonical irregularity before the arrival of his successor, to verbally revoke the permission granted to the nuns to be able to avail themselves of the Tridentine Mass. From this moment on, Manetti did not even provide for their spiritual assistance, depriving them of Holy Mass, including Mass in the ordinary form, even on Sundays and Holy Days. And that's not all. In front of the sisters, he declared that he never intended to expel them, but warned them that Don Antonio Canestri, who was still rector of the seminary even though it had been abandoned and converted into a monastery, and who was also an old friend of the new bishop, Cardinal Lojuris, had every intention of getting them out of the way. Canestri then presented himself at the monastery with arrogance and intimidating tones, even to the point of violating the cloister by entering the cells of the nuns and claiming ownership of the property. Canestri's intention to make a profit is obvious. Here is therefore explained with all the evidence that the disciplinary actions against the nuns were merely a pretext aimed purely at a financial operation along the lines of the monastery of Ravello on the Amalfi coast. On the other hand, a structure located on a hill overlooking the enchanting Val d'Orsia represents a succulent profit opportunity for the coffers of the diocese and the Holy See. Let me be clear. The economic and real estate question is the element that pushes many ecclesiastics to execute core orans for the sole purpose of making money or ingratiating themselves with the Bergolian court. But the true and deepest goal, the one that animates the entire action of this pontificate, is of an ideological bent to normalize religious life to the new pauperist, migrationist, environmental, ecumenical, and synodal paradigm imposed by the junta of the Argentinian. It is behaving no differently towards the faithful and traditional communities, which have seen the rights that the motu proprio Samorum Pontificum of Benedict XVI granted them in 2007 cancelled or drastically reduced with Traditionis Custodis.
In essence, it is as if a government incentivized companies to invest in certain sectors. And then as soon as they started to do so, it forced them into bankruptcy by canceling or cutting incentives. Needless to say, such an operation, as well as being cowardly and morally reprehensible, is not the result of inexperience or inability, but of a targeted desire to create as much damage as possible. If we then combine Cor Orans or Traditionis Custodis, the fate is inexorably sealed. The aversion of Cardinal Lajuris towards the inconvenient sisters was not long in manifesting itself. On the occasion of his taking possession of the chair of Pienza, the new bishop refused to allow them to receive communion kneeling, humiliating them before the whole city by making them stand up and receive communion in the hand. And in the sacristy, he rebuked them, telling them that in their monastery they could do as they wished, but that in public they had to conform to common practice. Moreover, in violation of liturgical norms, which allow the faithful to kneel and receive the sacred host on the tongue. In September 2022, Lojeris informed the nuns that he wanted to come and visit them, coincidentally precisely in conjunction with their absence from the monastery. When his secretary was informed that the sisters would not be present since they were going away for a spiritual repeat, retreat, he replied that their presence would be necessary because the cardinal's visit was mainly aimed at making a real estate valuation estimate of the building. I believe the order of priorities that animates the quote-unquote pastoral action Golian bishops is evident. First, business, then propaganda, and photo posing with Roma and the new Italians, which alone will have been enough to tickle Bergoglio, and then only if there is time remaining is attention given to the only contemplative community of the diocese. The dicastery for religious acts no differently, engaged as it is in a lucrative speculation operation, the sale of real estate, which it does not hesitate to make available by mowing down the few communities that survived the post-conciliar crisis of vocations. The nuns of Pienza managed to postpone the visit of Lord Judice to November 8th, but on October 11th, without any warning, Mother Roberta, who would later turn out to be the visitor, showed up without warning at the door of the monastery along with the abbot of Pontita and a third person. They found no one there, since the nuns were all on retreat in another region, and so this raid also failed. But on November 1st, the abbot of Pontita renewed the offensive, announcing an apostolic visit to the abbess and confirming that the sisters would be present on the following November 3rd. The abbess then called Lo Juris to find out if he was aware of the apostolic vegetation. The cardinal denied knowing anything, but then contradicted himself by admitting that on October 11th, he had accompanied the visitators who had presented themselves at the monastery without announcing themselves. On that occasion, the bishop pointed out that he had learned that the nuns had mass celebrated in the ancient rite, and that they had not yet entered any federation. There are two things to keep in mind. First, the, quote, traditional conversion of the nuns. Second, their failure to join a Benedictine federation. As already mentioned above, the federation, after Bergoglio's core Oren's instruction, are being used as institutions of re-education and indoctrination to the new course of action. The fact that the monastery of Pienza is sui turis, and therefore not required to federate, unleashed the fury of the dicastery for institutes of consecrated life, at the head of which is Cardinal Braz de Aviz, the one who, to be clear, on the occasion of a meeting with the cloistered nuns to present them to the wonders of Cor Orans, told them, treat your life as adults, not as adulterers. The Brazilian cardinal is assisted with the secretary, Monsignor José Rodríguez Carballo, who is the main person responsible for the financial collapse of the Order of Friars Minors Franciscans, and whose events the mysterious passing of two characters appears, of which Carballo had been Minister General before being promoted by Bergoglio as Secretary of the entire constellation of orders and religious congregations of the Catholic Church.
On the other hand, what better task for a person who has proven corrupt and unable to manage the administration of his order? And what had the order of Friars Minor invested in, if not controlled substances and defense me mechanisms? Let's not forget that Carbio is involved both in the scandal and in the persecution, among others, of the Franciscans of the Immaculate, not only because of their conservative position, but also for the sake of their conspicuous real estate, which the Holy See has not been able to appropriate only because it was registered as a civil association. Just in the past few days, it has been learned that Bergoglio has decided to expropriate, literally, the assets of ecclesiastical bodies, declaring them the property of the Holy See as a whole, and therefore belonging to its unitary, non-divisible, and sovereign patrimony. As we can see, the fate of the nuns has slightly anticipated the fate of all the communities, which means in simple terms that from now on, since the Pope is now the legal owner of all the goods of the Church, he can dispose of them independently not only in order to sell them and make money, but even more importantly, so as to not have a juridical lever with which to blackmail convents, monasteries, dioceses, seminaries, and other institutes, which previously remained autonomous and free to make their own choices without fear of suffering extortion. The practice of the church has always protected the property of the goods of ecclesiastical entities, precisely to guarantee with it that necessary independence of means, which is the premise of a free and conscious choice of fidelity to the apostolic see. Bergoglio's recent motu proprio, which seems to have been written by the leader of the that big economic forum that encompasses the whole world, reverses the situation, blackmailing religious orders and dioceses with these modalities of transfer of sovereignty that in temporal issues characterize the coup d'etat of the EU and associated organizations. I do not know if my brothers in the Episcopate and superiors of the religious congregations realize what this decision of Bergoglio represents for them and for their independence, since they are now de facto deprived of all authority and reduced to mere officials at the mercy of the diktats of the Vatican. On November 2nd, 2022, one day before the date of the scheduled meeting, the abbess of Pienza discovered that the abbot of Pontita would be arriving shortly, that is, by surprise and with clear, intimidating intentions. Any ecclesiastic knows that an apostolic visitation is a delicate event to be managed with great charity by trying to make it the least traumatic as possible, since it is still an inspection of superiors and is implicitly motivated by serious reasons. For this reason, it is to be judged, to say the least, imprudent to increase the pressure with a community of young cloistered nuns who have already been tried by the vicissitudes they have been exposed to so far, even to the point of presenting himself one day before, as if to take the nuns by surprise. The two visitors, according to well-tested methods, acted with unscrupulousness, making use of duplicity and lies. The interrogations of the sisters were really stressful sessions. They tried with every possible method to wear down the sisters psychologically, foment divisions, and take advantage of them to destroy the fabric of the community, as well as the psychophysical balance and serenity of the nuns. Next, the abbot of Pontita, Dom Giordorno Rota, arrived at the monastery. He is also, what a strange coincidence, consultor of the Vatican Dicastery for Religious, and therefore employed by Braz de Aviz and Carballo, who are notoriously corrupt and ultra-progressive. So then we have the visitor chosen by Rome, who is a progressive, Mother Roberta, who is a progressive, and the bishop, Cardinal Lodjuris, who is a progressive. All three are strictly pro-Bergolian and aligned with the new course of action. The same goes for the sisters who would accompany them in the inquisitional action against the poor nuns. The visitators questioned all the religious, keeping them under pressure for up to an hour and a half. The questions speak for themselves. What would you do if you were the abbess? What would you change about the community and the abbess? How do you see the future of the community? Why do you have the altar facing the wall? What is behind the recitation of the Pater Noster in Latin? What are those things on the altar, referring to the relics? 
Do you know how much money you have? Didn't you ask yourself why no federation or monastery wanted you? How did you choose who would go to Holland? Don't you see that the building is not suitable for having the enclosure? Intimidating questions, in which we understand not only the preventative measures of the visitors, but also their aversion to the traditional charism as well as their ultimate goal, to have a pretext to close the monastery and regain possession of the property. A goal that, as we have seen, had long been in the sights of the vicar general and of Lojuris. The apostolic visit, which had nothing apostolic about it whatsoever, ended on November 5th, among other things, catching the visitators red-handedly while secretly taking photos of the altar of the chapel, which faces the tabernacle and the cross, and of the products of the nuns offered in the entrance parlor, as is done in many religious houses. Obviously, to keep pressure on the poor religious, the visitators refused to specify either why they were sent by the dicastery, since there was no serious fact that justified their presence, or to divulge any details of their final evaluation. These are both things that the visitators should have said, if only in the name of the much-vaunted Bergolian Parisia. Once this inspection was concluded, the cardinal's visit scheduled for November 8th was postponed. On November 15th, he presented himself with the vicar general, Don Antonio Canestri. As soon as he entered, he inquired if the nuns themselves prepared the jams offered for sale, saying that the mayor of Pienza had received rumors that they bought those jams at the supermarket and then resold them with the label of the monastery. To the indignant response of the religious, offended by this gratuitous and unjustified insinuation, the cardinal realized that he, he was discovered and accused them of being uncooperative and hostile. At this point, the nuns asked him if he needed the building, and they were told, not for me personally, no. It should be emphasized that this insistence on asking questions about the products of the nuns has nothing to do with the apostolic visitation, and that it appears as a specious argument in the absence of valid canonical reasons. Moreover, resorting to material issues involving the mayor exacerbated the situation by extending it to the civil sphere that until then had no right to intervene. In any case, the religious have not committed any irregularity by offering for sale jams, rosaries, candles, and other products made by them in order to receive the liberality of their few benefactors and friends, which is necessary for their subsistence. At noon on February 13, 2023, Don Rafael Manitti, the vicar for consecrated life of the Diocese of Montepulciano, Chiusi Pianza, and Don Paolo, Lojuris's personal secretary, came to the monastery and delivered a letter in a sealed envelope for each religious, stating that they did not know what the contents of the letter were. In my subsequent intervention, I will examine the content of these letters sent by the Holy See to the monastery. That same afternoon at 4 p.m., the two priests returned together with the president of the Piceno Federation, Mother Vaca, and the vicar of the Federation, Mother D. Marzio, who claimed that they needed to enter so that the Vaca could speak with every nun. At this point, the abbess, Mother Deletta, and all the sisters went out and declared that they did not consent to their intimidating and unannounced break-in. Mother Deletta was then ordered by Manitti to obey the church. She replied that they should be ashamed to abuse their power in this way and that the nuns were not required to obey iniquitous orders. Not satisfied with the improvisation, the messengers of the curia and the dicastery constrained some relatives of the sisters, trying to frighten them and induce them to convince the nuns to submit. Manitti even took Mother Deletta by the arm, pulling her so that she would listen to him, claiming that their fears were unfounded. The next day, Mother Deletta found that she could not obtain money from the ATM, and she discovered from the bank that her delegation to operate the account of the monastery has been revoked and replaced with a new one in the name of Mother Vaca. The account with the miserable resources of the nuns, a mere 6,000 euros or 6,323 American dollars, was therefore in fact seized by authority, depriving the sisters of their very means of subsistence. And thank goodness that the solicitudes of the visitators were of a spiritual nature. 
Probably informed of the facts, Minetti called Mother Deletta to put pressure on her, trying to understand if the visit the next day of Lord Judy's had any hope of success. On February 16th, Mother Vaca sent Mother Deletta a letter on WhatsApp in which she warned her to let her take possession of the monastery, as ordered in the dicastery's communication, which in the meantime has been challenged by the sisters and therefore is considered suspended in its effects. Mother Vaca threatened serious canonical and civil consequences in case of disobedience. On the morning of February 17th, Manetti came to the monastery along with Don Paolo, the personal secretary of Lojuris, Mother Vaca, the president of the Pacenia Federation, Mother Di Marzio, the vicaress of the Federation, Paolo Arcangioli, the marshal of the Pienza Carboneri, and two other armed officers. The quick-thinking sisters took video footage of this surreal incursion, which even involved the help of the secular arm. The sisters' canon lawyer has rightly noted, among other things, that such a recourse to the Carboneri constitutes a violation of the norms of the Concordat and is unheard of, that, for a question the Curia insists on defining as a result of a misunderstanding, there was no hesitation to scare the sisters by bringing in the presence of the police. On February 19th, the diocese published its infamous press release, which was picked up and reprinted by Toscana Oggi and La Nazion. This statement, which is full of inaccuracies and omissions, ends with a directive that people should not give any financial support to the monastery. Aqua et inia interdicte, that is, deprived of any support and help from other citizens as a consequence of the revocation of their citizenship, just as was done in ancient Rome. This is Bergoglio's Church of Mercy. And that's not all. A few days later, the Carbonieri of Pienza called the relatives of the sisters to tell them that they would be summoned in order to gather statements about the monastery without making any formal notification. I don't want to imagine who gave the order or how the Carbonieri could have lent themselves to this grotesque inquisitory soap opera, even to the point of asking people not to tell anyone that they had called precisely so as to further frighten the besieged nuns. From the website of the Ansa News Agency, one further learns that a formal warning has been given to the nuns by the Diocese of Montepulciano Chiosa Panza, signed by attorney Alessandro Pasquazzi. One wonders under what title this communication was sent to the news agency, since no notification of this warning has to date been presented to the sisters. This is the latest act, for now, of a piece that is halfway between a grotesque farce and a tragedy, whose actors are divided into victims and perpetrators. The victims are the 13 nuns. Victims because of their troubled past, in which they were able to grow spiritually and escape the pressures and obsessive interference of the establishment of the neo-catechumenal way, thus arriving in Pienza. Victims of the bureaucratic mess of Bishop Manetti, who established them as a monastery sui juris, even though they did not own their own property. Victims of the desires of unscrupulous ecclesiastics, guilty of being a bothersome presence that impeded the economic exploitation of the building that hosted them. Victims of the ideological fury of the Bergolians due to their drawing closer to the tradition and their desire not to bow down to modernist indoctrination by denying fidelity to our Lord and their own charism. The facts that I have set forth can be verified. They are corroborated by incontestable proofs and confirmed by numerous testimonies. Their concatenation shows the premeditated nature of the attack on the sisters and allows us to guess what were the true purpose of those who attacked them, as well as what the specious excuses are with which they have attempted to draw attention away from the principal element of this entire affair. The absence of any true or justified reasons for proceeding against them. Inventing new and unfounded accusations along the way will not be able to hide the fact that the apostolic visit is merely the umpteenth attempt, cloaked in an apparent respect for the canonical norms, to strike communities of contemplative life, and even more so if they are of a traditional bent. In the second part of this essay, we will see how these Vatican provisions are completely illegitimate and have no value under canon law. Signed, Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò, 26th of February, 
2023. A very compelling case, I think, that Archbishop Vigano makes, showing that the smashing of tradition, at least on the religious orders front, done by the regime in the Vatican, is for purely financial and ideological reasons. It has nothing to do with the with Vatican II and implementing the council and its alleged desires. It has everything to do with their modernist ideology and with money. Most despicable of, of motivations that we see among these people. Curious what you thought of this, please. Let me know in the comments. Pray for Archbishop Vigano. Pray for these nuns. Unfortunately, they don't have a way you can, you can support them they, unless you live near them. Then you can violate the illicit order given by the bishop barring the laity from going and visiting them, you can go there and buy their jams or rosaries or whatnot. But again, let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As the sharing this on social media, that helps a lot too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.